Good morning. Looking forward to uh, sharing this message with you this morning. It's the second message in our Overflow series. Today we'll be talking about the subject of joy. It's not too late for you to get involved in the Overflow discussions that are taking place. We had 120 people now who have picked up DVDs and who are starting groups in different places. All you have to do to go through the experience is pick up a DVD, a study guide, gather with a friend or two, and meet together for seven weeks and discuss the material. It's very easy. I met with my group on Wednesday night, and other than myself and another person, uh, the six of us that were there, everybody was new to the group. It was a great experience. The DVD worked great. Uh, the discussion was great, very rich. And it's a really good thing when you can take the content you hear on Sunday and then have a discussion about it during the middle of the week. And the other cool thing is that the video has different content than what you're hearing here on Sunday morning. Well, Paul's letter to the Philippians is a fantastic letter, easy to study, four chapters, 104 verses. And when you read the letter, you'll find out very quickly that in those 104 verses, there's a theme that occurs over and over again. The theme of joy or rejoicing. Fifteen times in this letter, in the 104 verses, he talks about being filled with joy or rejoicing or wishing them to have joy. In the very first part of the introduction to the letter, Paul prays for the Philippians and says, My prayer is that you would overflow with love. And in this section we're going to be reading today, although it's not specifically about joy, we see how it is that Paul is able to live a life of joy, living under great adversity and difficulty and with hardship. And at the end of this small section, he says, My great wish for you is that you would experience the joy, the joy of your faith. I thought it was a good question to ask as we get started this morning. Are you experiencing joy in your faith? Is there something about your relationship with God in Christ that brings you joy? Now, joy uh, is defined in a lot of different ways by the world we live in. There's all different ways to define joy. But when we talk about biblical joy, it's a very specific type of joy. It's a joy that is different from happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. I'm happy because this happened. This makes me happy. The problem with circumstances is they change, they go up and down, and when circumstances change, we lose our happiness. But joy is something that comes on the inside of us. Joy is the consequence, or in the biblical term, the fruit of being in relationship with God. Paul teaches that when we have a living, growing, consistent relationship with Jesus Christ, that out of that relationship comes joy that is not touched by sorrow or sadness or grief and cannot be taken from us. That doesn't mean we don't feel sadness doesn't mean we don't feel sorrow. 
Because according biblically to what joy is, we can be sad and yet still be filled with joy. In fact, there's one place in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in the second uh, book of Corinthians, chapter 6, where Paul says, I've been going through a lot of trouble, and there's a lot of sorrow in my heart, but I am still rejoicing. So let me ask you a question as we get started. What brings you joy? What fills your heart with joy? I had experience this week that, that made me think about that myself. This week, my, my granddaughter um, ran a cross-country race. You may remember I told you she just started running, and it's fun for me to see her run. And uh, this week, she won a medal, her first medal. And you should have seen the look on her face when she came across the finish and got that medal. You know, it was awful. She was hurting. And she had a medal around her neck, but she was crying. And, uh, you know, you'd expect a kid to get her first medal to be happy, you know, but she was crying. And I went up to her and I said, did you get up at the front of the race with the fast girls? I did, Poppy. I got at the front. Remember I told you to run with the fast girls and not to run at the back? I did. And I said, did it hurt? She said, it hurt. I said, good, because I told you it was supposed to hurt. <laughs> I told her, I told her, if you want to win a medal, you're going to have to hurt. You're going to have to feel pain in your lungs. You're going to have to feel like you can't go anymore. And you're going to have to push yourself to where it really, really hurts. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a hard thing to tell a seven-year-old. But the truth is, if you really want to experience something great or achieve something in life, you've got to experience some pain involved. There's pain involved. But I will tell you the joy she felt having accomplished that goal. She didn't take the medal off the rest of the day and she said, she said, this is the happiest day of my whole life. <laughs> now Saturday we had a very different experience. She ran a 2K over in New Albany. And uh, a lot more girls in the race. And, uh, in fact, raise your hand. She came in ninth place, and she came in 12th place. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, my granddaughter, my granddaughter didn't get a medal. And they just kept running and running and running, and she was toward the back. I wonder what's going on. She started out at the front with everybody else. But I noticed as she was running, she was adjusting her hair, and she was fixing her uniform. And I found out that this time she chose to run to be cute. And she was getting ready to pose for the family photo afterwards. You know, it was one week pain, next week fun. You know, it, but it's all good. I, I thought to myself, my granddaughter doesn't have a trouble in the world. And when I'm around her, I don't feel like I have a trouble in the world. My granddaughter just fills my heart with joy. Grandparents in the room, I'm talking about. Your, your grandkids will just fill your heart with joy. You know, what brings, what brings you joy? Now, I want to read Paul's letter. And we're going to take a look at what Paul says about joy. And I think this is going to really help you. 
It's going to really, really help you because he gives a strategy. He gives us a strategy for how to, how to cultivate joy. He gives us four things I'm going to share with you from looking in this letter. So let's look now at the beginning of the letter and let's see what he says. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment. Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Now, whenever someone approaches you and you're talking to them and you're having a conversation and they say, well, with everything that's happened to me, you ever hear that? With everything that's happened to me, and maybe you said it, what do you usually expect to be the next part of the sentence? With everything that's happened to me, I've just been really depressed. With everything that's just happened to me, I've just given up. With everything that's just happened to me, I just needed to be alone. With everything that's happened to me, I just feel like I've lost my way. Now, that's not what you hear from Paul. It's interesting what Paul says here. But before we go to what Paul says, what do you think was happening to Paul when he wrote these words? Well, when Paul wrote these words, everything that's happened to me, the people in Philippi knew what had happened to him. He was talking about his journey from Jerusalem to Rome. In the 21st chapter to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, you'll hear the story behind everything that's happened to me. Paul is going to Jerusalem because he's going to carry an offering to the Jerusalem Christians who were living under difficult circumstances. Twice on the way, he stops at a seaport and is... Christians in the small communities in the church that he planted go there to greet him, meet with him, and spend time with him and pray with him. And they beg him not to go to Rome. We are fearful for your life if you go to Rome. Paul gets to Rome. He goes immediately in the temple, and almost immediately the trouble begins. A conspiracy spreads about him. And they begin to accuse him of defiling the temple by bringing uncircumcised Gentiles into the temple and that he is preaching against the traditions of Moses and of their faith. It begins as a small, small group of people that grows larger and larger and larger. They surround Paul and then begin to beat Paul. It becomes a riot and an angry mob. It's so out of control that they send centurions into the temple to quieten it down. To prevent more violence, they take the centurions take Paul into their custody and take him back to the fortress. But the mob becomes so unruly, they're still trying to beat him, that they actually have to place Paul on their shoulders above the crowd to get him to the fortress. After some debating, going back and forth about the crimes, they, they didn't find him guilty of anything, but the leadership there in Jerusalem insisted that he be put on trial. They shipped him off to Caesarea. Caesarea is a seaport off the coast of Israel that was built by Herod the Great. 
And in Caesarea, it was, it was occupied by a Roman governor. Paul was then taken before the Roman governor where he was held in prison for more than two years. During this time, people were making appeals from Jerusalem to have Paul sent back to Jerusalem to be put to death. They decided instead to have his trial here. And King Agrippa, who was the king of the Judeans at this time, came to, came to Caesarea and they put Paul on trial in this auditorium. Several important people from Caesarea by the sea came and listened to Paul. And rather than defend himself, Paul preached. King Agrippa looked at Paul at one moment and said, Are you trying to persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul says, You bet I am. He remained unconvinced. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Rome. And they made the arrangement to send Paul by ship through the Mediterranean over to Rome to be put on trial and make his appeal for his safety and freedom to the, to the Roman Caesar. On the way, they experienced terrible weather. He was bound by chain to a Roman guard. Terrible weather. It took several months, a terrible passage, throwing cargo overboard. At one point, they ran aground at the island of Malta and literally... The men on board were hanging on to planks and boards and cargo to survive. Interesting enough, Paul the whole time, even though he's a prisoner, is the one in charge of the whole event. He told them it's going to happen. He told them that they were going to be spared. He told them that the Lord was going to predict them and guide them. The whole time, Paul is preaching the gospel to the men on board the boat and who were in the sea adrift. Paul then goes ashore, is bitten by a poisonous snake. Make matters worse. He eventually, after several months, gets to Rome where he is held under house arrest awaiting for his appeal for Caesar. He is there chained day and night to a Roman guard. He is there in prison for two years. By this time, more than four and a half, almost five years have passed that he is under uh, watch of, of a guard. While he's there, he writes the letter that we just read. He wrote the letter to the Philippians. Now, we know from the book of Acts, Paul eventually was set free, and Paul began to preach in Spain. Paul came back to Rome after preaching for a period of time in Spain when Nero was the Roman Caesar. Nero, you may remember, burned Rome to the ground and blamed the Christians, and a widespread persecution took place. Peter, the apostle, was crucified, and Paul, the apostle, was beheaded. They buried Paul outside of Rome, uh, outside the city walls, and where they buried Paul, they built a church called the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, in 300 by Constantine, the first Christian emperor. Today, if you go there, you'll find a sarcophagus at the altar believed to be the remains of the Apostle Paul. And what they say is, tradition says, that the chain that you see in front of you was a chain that was used to hold Paul to a centurion. 
Now, I share all this history with you because we're not just talking about some glib, happy, starry-eyed preacher who's never lived in the real world. We're talking about someone who experienced a tremendous amount of hardship. Go back now and look at what he says. Paul says there again in the first chapter, because of what's happened to me, I have been able to advance the gospel. Because of what has happened to me, everywhere I've gone, I've been able to share my faith with people who would have never heard of my faith. I've been able to share it with the people chained to me. And because of me, Christians everywhere are gaining confidence and courage to share their faith. Do you know what I call that? It's the secret to joy. It's perspective. It's adjusting your perspective to how you see your troubles and your obstacles. You see, for Paul, because of his faith in Christ, he began to look at everything that happened to him in his life as an opportunity to share his faith. All his hardships put him in a position to be able to share his faith. It'll do a whole lot for you, and it'll do a whole lot for me as we begin to think about the things that happen to us in our lives, as we begin to see them not as obstacles, but as opportunities to be put in positions for God to use what we've gone through to share a positive message of hope with someone else. Where has God put you because of what you've been through? When you have that perspective comes joy. This week, I walked into the hospital, reached out and grabbed the hand of a man and held his hand with tears in my eyes and tears in his eyes talked with him about his diagnosis of cancer. I would have never been able to do that with the same impact if I had not gone through six months of chemotherapy and radiation and if I was not a cancer survivor myself. God didn't give me cancer, but God used my cancer to position me in a place to where I could share with a man who needed words of hope. And I, and I left, I knew he had been comforted. What is it for you? Perspective. The second thing I'd point out to you is in the next part of this letter. Paul then goes on and basically says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. Now, let me ask you something. <laughs> if people were saying bad things about you, how would you feel? If people were using the bad things that have happened to you against you and using it for their own selfish ambition, that never happens, does it, where you work? Never happens in your family, does it? No, of course not. Paul says it doesn't matter. Whether the motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Again, it's perspective. Hey, it doesn't matter about me because God's using this and the message is still going out. But there's something even deeper going. And this is, this is the deep part of this. He's talking about his identity. Happiness will be taken away from you if you're worried too much about what other people think about you or say about you. Paul's identity is not found horizontally. 
His identity is found vertically. He understands himself as a child of the living God. Therefore, his sense of well-being and personal worth is not found in what others say about him. Now, that doesn't give you the reason to say, I don't care what anybody says about me and just kind of be, you know, one of those guys. No, no, what he's saying here is my worth is found in my relationship with God. The secret to true joy is found in our identity, where we root ourselves. How we, so it doesn't matter whether people like the way I look. It doesn't matter how they feel about the way I sing. It doesn't matter about the kind of job that I have. Because I don't need the appreciation or the affection of other people to feel good about myself. Because I have the one relationship I have that makes me feel healthy and good. And you know, you have that identity, it'll make all your other relationships better because you won't put pressure on those relationships to give you only what God can give you. Your lover doesn't complete you. God completes you. Vertically, identity. The same thing that Jesus heard at his baptism. Facing all that he would face, what did he hear? You are my beloved. I love you. At your baptism, those same words are spoken over you. You are my beloved. Now here's the third part. The third part of this letter, he goes on and he says, you know, uh, I fully expect and hope I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Well, that's a, that's a, a beautiful thing to think about for me. At the end of my life, will I be able to say, will you be able to say that my life brought honor to him? You know, just like I want to bring honor to my wife or to my kids or to my family. I want to bring honor to the people that I love. And it's my life overflowing in a way that brings him honor. But there's something even deeper here. He says, I trust that whether I live or die, my life will bring honor to Christ. For me, living means, what does that mean? It means living means living for Christ and dying is even better. What is he talking about? He's talking about purpose. He's talking about he's living for something that's worth living for and something that's worth dying for. True joy comes from giving yourself away to something bigger than you. About caring about the things that are eternal and everlasting. It's not hard for me to know that. It gives me joy when I'm experiencing hardship and difficulty to remember the thing that I live for. You know what I live for? I live for the, the, the desire and the passion to share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ for all people. I live for the purpose of removing uh, the, the barriers of religion and hate and prejudice of fear associated with the church, to cut through all that, to tell everybody on this that I meet and encounter that God loves them in Jesus Christ, that you are his beloved, and it doesn't matter what the world says about you or who you are or where you come from, that you belong to him and your identity is in him. And if you trust him, he will never take his love from you. That's my whole life is about that. That's something worth dying for. 
But you have to find your own thing. When you get perspective and when you get identity and purpose, joy comes. Then the last thing, and I won't spend much time on this, is Paul basically says, it doesn't matter whether I live or die because I'm not afraid. Because I have eternity. When you know that no matter what happens to you in this life, how long or short, that you're going to belong to God forever, it gives peace. I was able to look in that man's hands and say, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know if this cancer is going to take you. But it will never take your soul from God. In some way or another, you will get through this. And when I leave this life and you leave this life, we have life with God. Joy. You see, I think this is an interesting statement to make. People say that in the midst of hardship and trouble, people say that in the midst of hardship and trouble that joy is something that we choose. And that is true. It is an attitudinal adjustment. But there's a deeper biblical understanding of joy, and it is not that we choose joy, but it's that joy chooses us. It finds us when we live for him and know him and our lives and our identity are founded in him. Joy comes. And we can be sad but still be filled with joy that overflows. So interesting conversation. Went to get my hair cut this week, and we were talking about everything under the sun. I don't know. Evidently, she's discovered this thing about being a co-owner with a dog. Find two people that want a dog but don't want to take care of a dog all the time, and so you shift the dog back and forth between the two houses. It's a, it's, it's a concept that might work for some of us. We were talking about all this stuff, and finally in the middle of the conversation, I said, hey, I got a question for you. What brings you joy? I don't think she's ever been asked that question. She paused, put down her scissors for a minute, and said, well, I like music. I like the Dave Matthews band. I said, me too. Dave Matthews is great. I love to go see Dave Matthews. Me too. It's great. Then we started talking about the different bands we saw. So I like to do it with my friends. Go hear music with my friends. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's great. M friends are great. I said, what else? She says, well, I like to make arts and crafts. I, I, I express myself through creativity. And then she said, I like to sell the stuff and I give it to St. Joseph's. I said, well, I know what make, I, so I know it gives you joy. She, I said, music and friends and making art and using your creativity and and I said, and giving away to others, helping others. I said, those are great sources of joy. And I don't remember what happened. She started talking about a wedding she was going to, and she didn't like her best friend's uh, boyfriend. And she told him to dump him and all this kind of stuff. It was very confusing to me. And, and, she, and she said, she said, I, get, she said, she said uh, I, get, I got my morals from where I went to church. I said, where'd you go to church? She said, that's how he's immoral and I'm moral and he's not, so break up with him. She said, I got my morals from going to the Catholic Church. Wow, that's great. 
Now, this, this, is not a, this is not a negative thing on the Catholic. This is about any church in general, okay? But she goes to the Catholic church. I said, where do you go now? She says, I don't go anywhere. Why? That's what you do when you're a kid. <laughs> to me, it's just it's not the best use of my time. I got my morals there. My parents made me go. I don't have to go anymore, so I'm not going. Now, here's what's interesting. Nowhere in my conversation with her did she associate joy with her church or her faith? I thought about that. I don't know if the church's fault or her fault. Maybe she missed it. Maybe the church missed it. But I do know this. The one gift we have to give to the world is not just morals but people overflowing with joy. This place is supposed to be a place of joy that comes from knowing the Lord. 